There are two passages this morning. The first comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Our second passage comes from the book of Acts, Chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we made it, made it to week two together. I, uh, I'm always relieved when my uh, security code to get me in the office building still works. So I guess uh, we're going to be around for another few weeks with you anyway. We're starting a three-week series today um, that's based on a a statement, an Augustinian statement the Restoration Church has owned, Um, and it's going to kind of help set some guidelines for the conversation we're going to have over the next three weeks around core elements, what binds us together, and those little differences that often separate and cause some real issues for us and how we find ways to stay in conversation together even when those differences irritate and sometimes drive wedges between us. So if you're willing to take this journey with me, uh, let's begin this morning. I have a morning routine uh, when I'm home. I get up usually a little bit earlier than Barb. That's because she goes to bed later than me. She, she's a painter and she sits in her office and paints into the middle of the night sometime. And I don't have that kind of a hobby. I just go to sleep. But um, so I will often get up and make a pot of coffee and I have several newspapers. One is now the Lexington Herald Leader that I read online and uh, get acquainted for the day. And then I flip on the television and um, And some days that's a good thing, but it's always a news story from a news channel. And I know we all have our own different viewpoints that we watch from our variety of news channels. But I don't care who you watch, it's getting increasingly difficult to watch in the morning. Because I'm an optimist in many ways. I, I get up in the morning, I want every day to be kind of a fresh start 
I want to believe that everything is going to be just fine. But then I start watching news television. And, and I get this feeling like I'm involved in a, a train wreck in slow motion. And, and while it hasn't yet derailed, the tracks are out and the brakes have yet to be applied. All of this is to say it doesn't feel really good to be informed sometimes in these difficult days. So one of the talking heads on Monday morning as I was working on this sermon was making a really good point that we're living in a time of six crises which all seem to be coming to a head. There may be more you could add to the list or, or some you would take away from the list, but here's what was given as six in this particular person's opinion. No particular order. So here we go. The impact of the impact of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. The economy, race, our very democratic foundations, the continuing saga with COVID, and that little nagging issue of climate change. If you don't think your world is unsettled, you're not really paying attention. So with this in mind, I thought it would be good for us today to talk a little bit about the things that unite us in a common purpose, that give me and hopefully you a reason to get up in the morning. While there's so much that seems to divide us, I want to talk about principles historic in nature, which are at the core of who we as disciples of Christ claim to be. Now, for years, there have been numerous studies done by a wide variety of secular and religious groups. They study why people go to church. Why do they go to this church instead of that church? And, and for most part, the studies talk about emerging movements, and they also talk about the death of mainline denominations. All of these studies seem to cite that denominational loyalty is a product of the past. They state that people who maintain strong ties to the denomination in which they were raised are literally dying off. And if we look at the life cycle of the disciples, we would have to say, you know what? There is some truth to this. Too many people have forgone denominational loyalty and have made church choices around issues like scale and scope of programming, the rise of mega non-denominational churches, and attitudes which are more concerned about receiving services than building community together. And while all of this may have a valid ring, my biggest concern is that we've created this lack of denominational loyalty ourselves. We've undersold commitment. We failed to educate why our particular voice is so unique and ultimately speaks so well for the society in which we live. We don't talk about our core values and we really leave people confused, wondering what in the world we truly believe. And once these questions begin to surface, we kind of flounder around for answers. And so churches with black and white responses to faith and life questions carry the day. Because of this, I want to 
take some time in this series of sermons to hopefully spark some discussion within our faith community about where God is inviting us to serve, to whom we will be open to serving, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ may be shared more effectively in this place, but even more so in the walls, in the, in the world outside these walls. In other words, let's be clear about who we are so that we can once again share a message that makes sense to the world. Many of you probably are familiar, at least in passing, with this cornerstone statement from which I will be drawing my next three sermons. If not, let me make you familiar with it. As I said before, this statement has been strongly identified with the restoration movement of which we are a part. But it was a claim of faith first offered by St. Augustine. Three short lines, three critical statements. In essentials, unity. In doubtful things or non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. Now this statement for disciples may only be rivaled by another statement of conviction. We speak where the Bible speaks and we are silent where the Bible is silent. To make this task of identifying essentials even more complex, when early disciple and central Christian church founder Barton W. Stone was asked to define the essentials of faith, he replied in an 1841 lecture on the Union of Christians held in Jacksonville, Illinois, this way. Some who are opposed to a large creed book as a plan of union yet plead for the necessity of a few essential doctrines to be embodied as a bond of union. But who shall determine what their essential doctrines are? Suppose it possible that every member of the church on earth were together and all agreed upon three or four doctrines as only essential, and that these only shall be tests of Christian union, would they all honestly agree? That should increasing light convince them that the doctrines received were wrong, they would still retain and defend them? Would they, or could they bind their posterity to believe and receive them? But these things are impossible. No formulary of doctrines can unite the Christian world. And if it can unite a party, that union is only partial and of short duration. It is a union of disunion. For unless we give up the right of thinking and implicitly believe, and remember when this was done back in the 1840s, as Catholics do, such creeds are in vain. For stone, creeds will never be a secure basis for a faithful union. Only the Bible. He thinks that a reduction of faith to essentials are going to shortchange the process, inject too much human selectivity into the process, possibly undermine communal beliefs. And so, this morning, as I try to determine the essentials of faith for us, I feel like I'm kind of staring down the loaded barrel of, of Stone's gun that says it cannot and maybe should not be done. He would argue that most of what we bring to the table for discussion or for admittance into the kingdom is only detail. Detail. And I have to agree. 
So what is it? What is it that we can embrace as central to our faith and to our church here without completely discount, discounting Stone's concern? First and foremost, we are a non-creedal church. I admit that. There is no singular statement of faith that could fully encompass the entire beliefs of even the people in this room, much less our faith community. So rather than to try and find that summary statement, let me lift up what I consider a cornerstone set of principles and practices that are central to who we are. The foundational statement upon which all of the practices of the church are founded is that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and offers saving grace to all. For a Christian, not for a Muslim, not for a Jew, not for a Buddhist, the way to know God is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Two, every single person we will encounter today, tomorrow, and the rest of our life are God's children. God has created every single one of us. It is in our diversity that we better understand the complexity and the enormity of God and God's will for our world. Our reading from Ephesians this morning says it so well. There is one body and there is one spirit, just as you were called to be the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who above all and through all and in all. Listen to that again. And in all. These two foundational principles then form the basis of our practices, which reinforce and then help define our principles. So we're going to move this discussion a little further down the road. The beliefs and practices consistent with our understanding of the church based on the foundational claim of Jesus Christ as Lord and all people as God's children are found in open communion. The Lord's Supper is celebrated every time the community of faith comes together in worship. It is open to all, all who believe in Jesus Christ. Now, some may even question this. Do you have to have faith in Jesus Christ to share at the table? Well, since we do not stand in the way of any person coming to the table, we can only assume those who would want to share must be somewhere in their journey of acceptance of Christ or why would they want to come? After all, isn't participation in the communion service a statement of faith, of belief? In our reading from Acts this morning, what's the first thing the new converts did? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They came as students. They came as family around the table where they prayed and received God's gift of love and grace. Another foundational piece is our belief in the freedom to believe. Disciples are called around one essential of faith, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But persons are free to follow their consciences guided by the Bible, the Holy Spirit, study in prayer, and are expected to extend that freedom to others. We are a movement 
based on reason as much as the leading of the heart. Third, we practice baptism by immersion. In baptism, old self-centered life is set aside, a new life of trust in God begins. Although we practice baptism by immersion, other baptismal traditions are honored as valid, as long as a public statement of faith is reaffirmed. We believe in the oneness of the church. All Christians are called in Christ to seek opportunities to common witness and service. Now hear this, this is sometimes hard for us to hear. No one denomination, no one tradition has all the answers. Neither does one church, neither does one believer. Again, Ephesians, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And here is one that we often forget, and I pray we never do, because I think for me, this is one of the most important things that is often ignored. We believe in the ministry of all believers. Both ordained ministers and laypersons lead in worship, service, and in spiritual growth. As God has individually gifted us, you and me, we are called to ministry in a myriad of ways. And every single one of our ministries is equally valued. Now I'm going to admit something to you as I stand here in a robe this morning. I do this to honor the tradition of your church. But I've had difficulty for the last 25 years of my ministry wearing a robe in the pulpit. Because for me, it has sometimes felt like a garment of separation in a tradition that honors everybody's gift to do ministry. That's just me. But I believe in the ministry of all believers that strongly. We could all wear our own robes every single day. And last but certainly not least, the Bible is not a dead book. It is a living document that must be studied in combination with prayer and praise. Through the Holy Spirit, God continues to offer new truth to each generation that faithfully seeks and listens to the Word of God found in the Holy Scriptures. The Bible, while constant, always speaks new truth as we come to it through the lens of our lives' experience and our growing awareness of the world around us. Okay, I know I've just pulled up the dump truck and dumped a lot of stuff out here this morning. It's a lot to absorb. But in a nutshell, I really think this is who we are. And if it's not who we are, it's at least what we're trying to become. It is truly my belief that, that in a time of changing landscapes, we need to seek a firm foundation by which we can define our world. Without these foundational principles, we find ourselves being blown around by those who shout the loudest and by those who play on our fears. This is not a time to hunker down, even though I think many of us have done so. It is a time to bind ourselves up, to speak in truth and in love, and to claim those parts of our faith that give us strength to speak without fear and the power to embrace all people 
even those we disagree with as God's children. This isn't easy, but it is the right thing and the only thing to do because it has the power to change the world and it has the power to bring light to the darkest corners. Well, next week I'm going to begin to name those parts of our church that we often see as defining essentials and that often divide communities of faith, but they're really just details and even distractions that keep us from honoring our core values. Now, I know full well that any creedal statement is inadequate, but I I invite you this morning and for the next two mornings that I'll be in the pulpit to listen to these words that I think speak volumes to who we are. It's not a creed, but it's a pretty good statement about who we are as members of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So we're going to share this reading in worship the next several weeks, and it is from the preamble of the design of the Christian Church adopted by the General Assembly in 1968. So just settle your hearts and let these words wash over you today. As members of the Christian church, we confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and proclaim him Lord and Savior of the world. In Christ's name and by his grace, we accept our mission of witness to serve and service to all people. We rejoice in God, maker of heaven and earth, and in the covenant of love which binds us to God and to one another. Through baptism into Christ, we enter into the newness of life and are made one with the whole people of God. In the communion of the Holy Spirit, we are joined together in discipleship and in obedience to Christ. At the table of the Lord, we celebrate with thanksgiving the saving acts and presence of Christ. And within the universal church, we receive the gift of ministry and the light of Scripture. In the bonds of Christian faith, we yield ourselves to God that we might serve the one whose kingdom has no end. Blessing, glory, and honor be to God forever. Amen.